me uh, shift gears here. I, I know that one of the things you wanted to accomplish on the on the podcast was to clarify your position on some of the you know um, beliefs that you have and and uh, the way you view the church and the way you view your your beliefs. So if if I may, I'd like to walk through a series of questions uh, about your beliefs and talk about how they are today. Okay, shoot. Right. And I should just say that th- this is probably the biggest question that I get is where I stand on the church. A lot of the a lot of the conservative Mormons uh, are really questioning what my beliefs are and wondering how I stay. But even more importantly, a lot of the liberal and ex and anti Mormons are saying, "How in the world, uh, you know, you're an apologist and 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 are trying to understand why I stay in the church?" And so, probably the most important thing I wanted to do was to sort of clarify my position on on these things. So, shoot, let's start at the very basic. What what are your feelings for God and Jesus? Um. I have to say that, like like many people who go through the history crisis and the and the doctrine crisis, um, Mormons very often when they go through that don't just struggle with their testimony in Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon and the Church, but uh, for some reason those dominoes fall really quickly, and it's not it's not at all uh, a long time before you're questioning Christ and God Himself. So I have to admit that when my testimony fell, it fell hard, and every single aspect of my faith uh, dissolved. And so uh, I did have to stare into the abyss to consider whether or not I even believed in God anymore. And uh, I, I can say that um, I've reconstructed a faith and a belief in God, uh, but but um, the best that I can say is two things. I, uh, I've, I believe that there's a meaning and a purpose in this life uh, and an a organizing force. For me, uh, the idea that all of this is random and and coincidental and a mistake within the universe is as absurd to me as the thought that there's some divine power or influence or order. So I still am a person of faith, uh, and and that that organizing force or power within the universe I call God. Uh, whether that God has ten fingers and ten toes, whether he was once a man like we may or may not acknowledge, uh, whether or not his name is Elohim, is purely a matter of faith for me. Uh, I will accept that as, as, as on faith. I will live as if that's true, and I hope that that's true in many ways. Um, but I can't say that I believe in an anthropomorphic, uh, traditional uh, God as Mormonism has has taught me to believe. I I would only have to say that's a matter of faith, not one of strong conviction or knowledge. So that's my view of God. And and you pray still. I do. I pray, and I, I can't stop praying. Uh, I can't say that I'm praying all the time, but I, I pray each night. Uh, we, we kneel in family prayer every morning. We, we pray over our meals, and in important moments in my life, I say special prayers uh, to God. Um, so yeah, I do pray. How about the restoration? Um, if you don't mind, let me let, let me just jump quickly to, to Jesus and the Savior before oh, we talk sorry. to the restoration. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. Um, it's interesting, and, and this is going to probably be the hardest for many of my listeners to take. But I would say my view of uh, of Jesus is 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 quite unorthodox. Um, when I started really trying to piece together what made sense for me, uh, what never made sense for me from from a Christ perspective is the fact that, on the one hand, we all come to this earth imperfect. We all come to this earth designed inherently with the proclivity towards sin. 
So we are all sinners by design, by birth, as the story goes. And so, um, so if that's the case, if we were built by God to be imperfect, uh, then how in the world is it that we're supposed to feel incredibly sad and unhappy and guilty and remorseful about the fact that we're sinners? That, that doesn't make sense to me. So am I sad when I sin? Absolutely. I, when I hurt people or do bad things, I feel incredibly remorseful. But I do not feel indebted or guilty or sad for the fact that I'm imperfect. I'm designed that way. I come that way, and we all do. And so this typical Christian notion of us all being fallen, all being lost, all being sinners, and we would all go straight to hell if it weren't for a Savior that was sent here to to uh, deliver us all, it doesn't mean much to me anymore, frankly, because if we were designed that way, I don't see why we should feel so bad about the fact that we're that way, nor feel grateful that we're designed that way, and so uh, so uh, Heavenly Father sent us a way to save us when he built us that way. So I don't know if I'm making sense, but this whole notion of us feeling guilty and bad and horrible about being sinners is a premise upon which the atonement and Christianity is based that, that doesn't resonate with me. Having said that, being righteous is extremely important to me. I... I uh, I try really hard to be good to people, to live a Christ-like life, etc. But I'm not motivated by a sense of guilt or shame, and I'm not motivated by some reward that I hope I'm going to achieve in the afterlife, some station that I hope to uh, obtain someday. I am motivated only by a desire to do good and to be good, and not out of guilt or thanks uh, to some supreme being. So with that, this notion of a Savior coming to the earth who has to suffer and bleed for every single sin that everyone's ever committed, and not just every sin that everyone on the earth has ever committed, but also every, you know, every illness, uh, he, he suffered for that too. And not only for all the people on this world, but for all the other people on all the other worlds, you know, which is sort of the atonement thing that I've been taught my whole life. That doesn't make sense to me. And even, even the fact that, that we teach that Christ is half God, half man, I don't understand how special or magic it, it necessarily is um, when someone who's part superhero is able to do supernatural things. And so the traditional notion of Christ dying on the cross and suffering in Gethsemane and bleeding for my own sins and suffering for everyone in the world um, doesn't resonate with my soul in a way that does anything productive. Uh, so, um, so, Go ahead. You have a question. Um, so I was going to say, you know, when we asked the the question of God, you were you, you sort of said there are things that don't make sense to me about God, um, but I'm willing to accept them on faith and hope that they're true in some cases. I think was what you said. Yep. Would you classify the atonement and Jesus and you know the role of a savior in the in the plan of salvation as something that you accept on faith and hope for, or as something different? Um. So the best I can affirm is that I, I, I view Christ as my personal Savior. And what I, what I mean by that is I, I believe that someone named Jesus did once live. I believe that he taught, at least in, in the core, the principles that are found in the Bible, if you look really hard. I believe that he gave his life for these teachings. Um, 
and 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 because of those teachings and the fact that they persisted over time and the fact that I was raised with those teachings as an influence in my life and those teachings then in effect saved me from all sorts of uh, bad avenues and and nasty things that could have happened to me as I was growing up you know his teachings and his example and his sacrifice saved me from what could have been really bad peril in that context I view Christ as my savior um, that I can say with a strong conviction that I'm very grateful for and I consider myself a Christian in that I have a testimony of his teachings as found mostly in the Gospels in the New Testament and I try very hard to practice those teachings in my daily life. Now, um, uh, I I have a really hard time with, and we'll, we'll, uh, this will bleed over in our discussion about the Mormon Church, but I have a really hard time feeling strongly about the the God franchise concept that God has one true church on the earth and that a, only a small percentage of his children actually have the opportunity to be exposed to it and everyone who is a member of that elite little franchise group uh, gets special privileges and blessings and gets saved at the end of the day uh, but all sorts of other people are left out left out of the bag whether you're born in China or you're born in Africa you know you're not privy to God's franchise in one true church and so uh you know you're kind of hosed uh i i don't buy i don't buy any one church or any one faith as having an exclusive path towards um exaltation or or uh you know higher living in a in a future life and so um from that standpoint uh, I don't. I don't view Christ necessarily as the only path towards a good living or exalted living or righteous living. I just put myself in a position where I say Islam has an important role to play in this world, and Judaism has an important role to play, and Buddhism has an important role to play, and those leaders were inspired in their own way as well. And any of us who think we really understand what the afterlife is really like and who's going where is sort of either being self-congratulatory or judgmental or, or acting or believing in ways that are counterproductive to them and to the rest of the world. And this notion of one true church, I believe, is one that divides more than unifies. And so I accept Christ as my personal Savior. Um, the, the resurrection and his literalness as being the only one true path through Jesus Christ and Christianity towards salvation and God again, like an anthropomorphic God, I would have to say would be at best uh, a matter of faith and of hope. But I can't say that I hope Christianity's the one true path because I just believe that God is broader and more complex than any of us understand and that there are many paths up Mount Fuji. And so I, I accept Christ as my personal savior. I have a testimony of him, especially of his teachings. But as to the exclusivity of the of the Christian faith and of Christ as an atoning savior that all mankind will be hosed if they don't sort of go through that path would be at best a, a matter of faith or hope for me but not uh, of active belief or of active knowledge so okay so, so sort of related to that um you don't you don't necessarily buy into the idea of a one true church how do you view the priesthood and how do you view authority in general um, you know, from your perspective, what role does that play in God's interaction with man? 
like I said, I definitely believe in a force and in a power that's greater. And 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 I guess my view would be that that we in the church call that priesthood. Um, but do I believe that if a if a a mother if a Catholic if a Catholic woman has a has a sick child and she blesses that child or prays for that child, uh, do I believe that she's going to have less of a chance of that child being healed than some you know father in Utah giving his his child a blessing? I think that God's power is all throughout the world. And I even think that that probably Gordon B. Hinckley and others would would affirm that. And so I think that, um, you know, I I believe in the power of God. Uh, I believe that the power of God is in our church and that we label that priesthood. But I don't believe that we have a lock on God's power within Mormonism. Um, You know, so that would be my take on priesthood. What about this notion that you could take anyone from a random faith around the world, have them join the Mormon church and see if we couldn't add to the good that they've learned outside the church. Oh, I definitely believe that our church has a ton of great things to add, but I believe that it's just as true that other faiths have so much to teach us. Uh, I've just, you know, Mark Twain, I think once said that, 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 uh, traveling is fatal to prejudice and you just have to, you know, for those of you who haven't done much traveling, Make some Muslim friends, make some Jewish friends, make some Catholic friends, make some Hindu friends, make some Buddhist friends if you don't have them. And you're agnostic gonna, friends. Yeah, atheist, atheist friends. Fr- absolutely. Atheist agnostic friends, in some cases, uh, exceptionally so. You're going to find some of the greatest, most, as you would say, Christ-like, wonderful, spiritual, gifted people that you will ever meet, that, that you will have a hard time matching in your average LDS ward uh, building. And so... Um, I just think that we have a lot to add to this world. There are truths and, and teachings that we have that I think are unique and extremely powerful and positive, but I don't think we have in any way a monopoly on goodness or righteousness or truth um, or have any, even a leg up in many instances on devout believers or non-believers throughout the world. What would you say are the top three um, ideas or beliefs in Mormonism that add value to the world? Um, you know, I, I, many of the, I, I've looked at the articles of faith and I find them profound. I, I love the fact that we disabuse the world of a notion that, that man is, is, uh, judged for the transgressions of their predecessors. That was a huge revelation. Uh, uh, I think that, uh, our, our belief in obeying, honoring and sustaining the law, our emphasis in the families, our emphasis in clean living. Uh, is exemplary. I think that it keeps us in many ways out of trouble that we would otherwise get in. I believe that many of the founding principles in the Book of Mormon about are, are the, the the teachings about uh, the war in heaven and the importance of free agency are absolutely fundamental to a healthy and a positive life uh, here on the earth and a productive one. Uh, the the you know the te- you could pull several quotes out of either the temple ceremony or scriptures like man should not be alone. Um, uh, quotes like, um, you know, we have sufficient for our needs. Uh, all throughout Mormonism, there are little pithy aphorisms and quotes uh, and teachings that are absolutely, I believe, profoundly important teachings for living a happy life. And I, I literally, we could do a whole podcast on incredibly profound and, and affir- affirming teachings within Mormonism. Uh, especially as it relates to teachings about Jesus Christ and, and, 
and loving our fellow man and living a clean life and being committed to your family. And I even believe that there's a lot of value and truth in, in a traditional family. I'm not in any way one that judges a woman for working or, or you know, gay couples or whatever. But I think there's an incredibly positive uh, benefit to society by having a good, healthy dose of traditional families. I think my, my children have been incredibly blessed by having a mother stay home and cater to them and, and keep a clean home, an orderly home, uh, and to be able to be there when they get home from school. And I don't in any way stand in judgment over those who don't make those decisions. But I think those teachings, at least for a subset of our population, are incredibly positive. Mm. So, uh, well, Your kids are real sweethearts, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, I, there is so much about Mormonism that I absolutely love and, and champion and, and advocate. How about the Book of Mormon? Uh, the Book of Mormon uh, has been a rough one for me. And again, this is going to be extremely sensitive uh, to some of my listeners. But, uh, you know, I, I've felt the Holy Ghost profoundly in my studying of the Book of Mormon. There are sections in Second Nephi, in Alma, in Third Nephi, in Mosiah that will never, will never leave me uh, in terms of being incredibly profound and, and affecting in my life. But... Uh, I have real struggles with uh, the issues of historicity and architecture and uh, lineage, etc., surrounding the Book of Mormon. You know, when I read about millions of soldiers fighting with helmets and shields and swords that were made of steel, I ask myself, why haven't we found one sword? Why haven't we found one helmet? Why haven't we found any remnant? Why haven't we found still a geography? Yeah, why haven't we found a geography that matches the Book of Mormon geography? You know, why why did the Book of Mormon talk about elephants when there's you know, I haven't been able to find any real significant substantive evidence of elephants in the Book of Mormon or horses uh uh or or wheels or chariots. And I know that you know fair and farms have extensive writings on explaining why steel may not have really been steel and why an elephant may not really have been an elephant or a horse may not really have been a horse or yes they found a horse once in a tar pit somewhere uh but but you know i don't think that apologetics necessarily uh, it ultimately keeps people in the church i think it can sometimes keep people hanging on but as i piece together a mosaic and if you add to the lack of any archaeological uh, evidence or linguistic evidence or anthropological evidence uh, behind the Book of Mormon. If you add to that uh, the DNA findings that over 90% of the Lamanites, quote, that we call Lamanites, the Native Americans that have been sampled, uh, their DNA maps directly back to Asia through the Bering Strait, which is also what the anthropological and historical evidence had showed, doesn't leave me with feeling like the Book of Mormon is exactly what I thought it was. And you even find that now, that brethren no longer say that Camorra is necessarily in New York, or maybe there's two Camorras. Or, you know, the brethren are now hesitant to say who the Lamanites really are, even though for 150 years the Lamanites were all the Native Americans in North, Central, and South America, plus the Pacific Islanders, plus a couple others that got thrown in there. Now all of a sudden we have no idea who the Lamanites are, and even the apologists are acknowledging oh, well, there must have been a big civilization existing parallel to the Nephites and Lamanites that have subsumed their DNA, 
you know, even if that's possible, and I don't think that any of this DNA evidence or archaeological or historical evidence disproves the Book of Mormon. Let me make that clear. Nothing that I just said leads me to conclude that the Book of Mormon is a fraud or false. But I definitely uh, now have come to believe that things at minimum are dramatically different than not only I was taught, but what prophets, seers, and revelators taught for 150 years. And so I'm left feeling like the Book of Mormon at best um, is definitely an inspired book. Um, but whether it's historical and literal, uh, it would be at best a matter of faith or hope for me but certainly is not a, a, an element of conviction. Um, so that's a long answer to your question. So to sum it up, what I say, you don't necessarily believe that it's historical, but you believe it's an important inspired book. Yes. Possibly inspired fiction. Possibly, yeah. yeah. How, about, how about the book of, of Abraham? Yeah, you know, I learned about the book of Abraham right when I was teaching seminary, and I just, I'm stunned at all the stuff that I... I went 35 years in the church never hearing about. Uh, but when you read the story of the book of Abraham and how it was presented by Joseph Smith and what he said it was, and then you find out when the Egyptologists have actually studied it and, and, and traced it back to what it actually was back in Egypt, and I'm not an authority at all, um, but the book of Abraham uh, becomes something that I, again, view as having inspiration but probably not a literal translation. Okay. Uh, how about the uh, issue of race in the church? Uh, I I have to say that uh, that I've only started digging into the issue of race uh, in the past uh, few few months. But I would have to say that our our uh, that our history and our record on race is extremely dis disappointing. Um, if we were to claim that we're God's one true church on the earth with the direct line uh, of, of inspiration and authority towards God. I mean, on the one hand, we're taught that our brethren, we should follow the brethren. The brethren will never lead us astray. The brethren have a direct, direct line of communication with God. Um, they're special witnesses for God and for Jesus. The prophets receive revelation. On the other hand, we go from Joseph Smith ordaining black men, um, being a friend of black men, uh, to Brigham Young, who said some of the most racist, vile, and evil statements, you know, that could have been said. I think, and I'm probably being a little bit angry here or extreme, but if you read the statements in journal discourses that were made by Brigham Young and others, up through Mark Peterson in the in the mid 1950s, we were an extremely racist church. I don't think we were necessarily any more racist than other members of the United States or world. Um, so I don't I don't think that we. Um, necessarily or any more guilty than anyone else. But if you then adjust for the fact that we claim to be God's one true church on the earth with direct inspiration, with, uh, you know, visits with Christ or inspiration from Christ, we were not only uh, not exemplary uh, because we took 10 years longer than many churches to sort of uh, change our ways. Uh, I just think our, our our record on race is abominable. And if you think about the fact that not only did we legalize slavery in Utah and that some apostles held slaves and that Brigham Young taught that slavery was God's will upon the earth. And, and you look at um, how our black brothers and sisters were, were given secondary status for over 150 years and that we didn't come clean and fix that until 1978 
you know, 10, 15, 20 years after the civil rights movement got going, you ask yourself, if ever there was a time for revelation and inspiration, it was then. I mean, God loves these people too. At least we can admit that now. We may not have really felt strongly about that 50 years ago, but now we can say God loves all his children equally. And we have to ask ourselves, why were why was God's one true chosen church allowed to hold these people as second-class citizens for so long? And missionaries were taught not even to proselyte to them unless they were brought and approached by them. Uh, it's just an abysmal record. And then if you add upon that the fact that uh, we still have these racist teachings and 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 uh with us today that my daughter as recently as last year was taught the curse of cain in sunday school that i i, I met a missionary a couple of years ago who on his way to the mtc still believe these teachings of brigham young i hear it all the time that people still believe these racist teachings um i just you know for a church that holds itself up as being the one true church and having direct inspiration from god a confidence that it will uh, exist and stand throughout any torment. I can't understand why the church wouldn't stand up and say, these teachings are abominable, they're false, they were wrong. Brigham Young was still a prophet from the church's perspective, but those teachings about racism were absolutely disgusting, and, and we renounced them in no uncertain terms. I'm befuddled by why it's taken us so long to even start to approach uh, repenting. Um, you know, I, I won't be the first to have said this, but the church teaches all of us as members to repent, that we need to um, acknowledge that we've made a sin, that we need to feel remorse for it, that we need to ask forgiveness for that sin, to make restitution for it, and never do it again. And and just like Darren Smith and others have taught, uh, I don't think the church is is exempt from from the need to follow the paths of repentance. And many people are going to say, well, it's not the church that needs to repent because this was all God's will. I would just invite them to go through the timeline I put up on Mormon stories and see the reversals and the changes and the contradictions and the utter gross racism that was purported. And I would just ask all of you to say, is that really of God? Is that really God's will? Do you really think that that, that, that was of God? And I think uh, I think people... Uh, I think it's going to be rare the person who's going to actually come to the sole heartfelt conclusion that that our history on race is anything other than embarrassing and and uh, calling out for sincere repentance over. And I think we're, we're not going to be able to progress and move on as people until we confront this issue because it hasn't gone away. The, the issue of polygamy and blacks continue to face us and confront us and haunt us every day. And until we move past that, I think spiritually and culturally and emotionally, we are going to be stymied uh, as, a, as a church. So uh, I, hope, I think you can see I'm a little bit passionate about that issue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Forgive my passion. Well, you put polygamy into the same category of race as racism. Uh, you want to elaborate a little bit on your feelings towards it? Yeah, basically, uh, you know... When you look at how polygamy evolved, that it started with Fanny Alger in 1830-whatever, 1832 or 33, Emma didn't know she was living in the house of Joseph at the time. Uh, it, it, you know, uh, None of the church leaders were clued in on it. There was no revelation that was uh, openly acknowledged uh, with, within the church leadership. And then it sort of goes underground for a while, and then it resurfaces in late Missouri, early Nauvoo time. And it was... Uh, practiced so covertly uh joseph smith 
married over 33 women. It, it turns out many of them were married to other people's, uh, were married to other men at the time that Joseph Smith married them. Uh, you know, many of them were teenage girls. Uh, Joseph Smith denied that he was practicing polygamy up until his death. The church denied it until uh, the 18, you know, 50s. Uh, and then so conveniently when the federal government brought all its forces to bear upon us um, and, and threatened our extinction, this doctrine that was once taught as a requirement, polygamy being taught as a requirement for eternal salvation, uh, was so conveniently uh, terminated uh, once our, our existence was threatened to the point where we had no choice. And then you fast forward to the day where most Mormons now grow up never even knowing Joseph Smith had a spouse, a spouse other than Emma. I certainly didn't until my mid-30s know that Joseph Smith ever was married to anyone else other than Emma. I thought Brigham was the first polygamist. Um, and then you hear Gordon B. Hinckley interviewed on Larry King Live saying that uh, polygamy isn't doctrinal. I can't, I can't believe that this practice was, uh, was inspired and of God. And so I don't know how to reconcile that with the belief that Joseph Smith was a prophet, but I certainly um, look at polygamy along with the black thing more as a mistake or as an embarrassment than, a, than as of God's intentional designed will upon our people. And I know that's going to seem blasphemous, and I know people are going to say, how do you reconcile that with the church and with my heritage? Because my grandmother, you know, uh, my grandmother's mother was, was the daughter of a polygamous marriage, but... I just, I can't square not only the way that polygamy was carried out, but the way it was hidden uh, and the way it's been distanced from now. I just can't reconcile that with it being God's will. So do you believe Joseph Smith was a prophet? <clears throat> um, uh, the short answer to that would be yes. I, I believe that he was inspired of God. He made prophecies that I believe came true. Uh, I believe that... Um, he did many great and important things that were inspired, that, that were good for the human race. Uh, he taught many inspired and beautiful things that help people live better lives and more Christ-like lives. And uh, I expect him and uh, honor him as a prophet. But, but I would have to say that my, my understanding of the term prophet is, is very loose and, and a lot less literal than the average member of the church because I would be fully willing to consider Confucius as a prophet and Buddha as a prophet and Muhammad as a prophet and and some guy down the street as a prophet to the extent that they uh, uh, believed and advocated for God's truth and righteousness on the earth. So just as I'm uncomfortable with the one true church sort of exclusivity on, on a connection with God, I, I can believe Joseph Smith is a prophet but also accept other non-Mormons as prophets and also accept that Joseph Smith in many ways was flawed and sometimes tragically flawed. So you would say that he was a prophet, but not the prophet? Certainly not the prophet, because there's been a lot of them. So I don't know what would give him any uh, exclusivity on, on the term, uh, which again is a lot different than sort of how we're raised. But if you just look at look at his life, he did many good things, but he did some really horrible things. And uh, I, I love a lot of his teachings and accept him as a prophet, uh, but, but don't see him as necessarily having a clear edge over Peter or Moses or Abraham or Buddha or, or other great people who have lived on the earth um, that have helped move the human race forward in positive ways. So I still accept him as a prophet, but not uh, 
with an exclusivity on uh, that uh, phrase or term or title. So, John, you've got a good laundry list of of concerns about the church, uh, still even to this day, I would say. And it seems that you've adapted some of your beliefs to accommodate those concerns. So when you get done with all that, why stay? Well, that's, you know, that's probably the most important part of this podcast as far as I'm concerned, because, you know, leaving is obviously something that uh, I've, I've thought about, I've entertained, and, and sometimes I still feel a pull towards. Um, but uh, I love this church, and I've written actually 13 points of why I stay in the church. And so uh, how would you like it if I told them to you now, Paul? <laughs> Go for it. The first reason I stay in this church is because it is in my DNA. It is in my blood. It is my heritage and is it is my culture. I am Mormon to the bones. To try and take Mormonism out of me would be like trying to take the two-by-four frames in a house out of the house. The house would cave in um, and it would cease to be uh, any type or shadow of what it was. I view my entire existence as defined by Mormonism in in mostly very positive ways. And uh, to try and unmormon myself would be like a Jew trying to unbecome a Jew or a black person trying to paint his skin white. It is just, it, it is inconceivable for me to try and disassociate that. It is too comprehensively uh, defining in, in who I am. So that's answer number one. Answer number two is that I believe that that the Mormon Church is an incredibly positive place to uh, establish and be a part of a community. I acknowledge that it's not the only place. Lots of people leave the church and become universal Unitarian, Unitarian Universalists or Episcopalians or they form little sec- secular communities. And, and I respect that and think there's a place for that and I don't have a problem with that. And I don't think that Mormonisms have a monopoly on positive, productive communities. Um, but at the same time, I think we do a lot that's great community-wise. The home teaching program has a lot of uh, great things to it when it's, when it's exercised in a sincere way, along with visiting teaching. When, when people have babies, people bring them food. When people's homes flood, people rally around to, to, to you know, uh, rescue the home from floods. Uh, when there are crises, people get rally, and, and I've not only been a participant in that, but I've been a beneficiary of that. And so I, I find the, the community an exceptionally positive one, not only to, to serve, but to be served. I feel like my purpose on the earth is to serve other people, and I find Mormonism as an incredibly positive place to perform that service where you can get to know people very quickly, a large group of people, and be able to get to know their needs and concerns and personalities in a way where you can help them where uh, that's unique. And so I love serving in this church, and I love uh, when, when our family needs to be served that there's people there for us as well. Um, so that's my second and third, second and third reasons. Uh, fourthly, I love uh, much of their teachings. Uh, anytime they're teaching values about uh, truth and integrity and love and service and charity and patience and kindness uh, and, and family values uh, from the standpoint of um, caring about your family and, and 
and living your responsibilities as a father and as a mother and as a brother and a sister or as a member of the community. You know, the the laundry list is huge as to the positive productive teachings within Mormonism. Can I can I interrupt you there? Sure. Um, what do you think of the notion that the church is either entirely true or it's a fraud? I think binary thinking is one of the most damaging things that we can face in our lives. Uh, um, you know, what in the world is either true or false? And this is actually one of the points that I get to. What government is perfect and flawless and true of God? What marriage uh, doesn't have serious and deep flaws? What company or organization doesn't have sincere or deep problems? What person isn't tragically gifted and flawed at the same time? And I, I think religions are the same way. I don't think any church uh, uh, stands as, uh, as true and exclusive on, on truth and faith. I mean, if you look at the Mormon church, at the best of times, when we were most representative on the earth, we represented less than one half of 1% of God's church on the earth. What kind of God sets up a plan where the whole purpose of that plan is for people to live a, a righteous, faithful, church-based life, to get the saving ordinances, to be able to return to him? He makes that plan, sends everyone down, and then doesn't provide the means for 99.95% of his children to actually have that experience. So I just cannot accept that there's only one true technically franchised church on the earth that everyone else is just out of luck about. And so this notion of true-false uh, offends me. It's the most offensive, one of the most offensive teachings in church. And that's one of the hardest things about going to church because testimony meetings have devolved into truth-affirming uh, sessions where the most common phrase uttered adult or child is, I know this church is true with a capital T. And I don't think people understand what that means. I think they say that because they're conditioned to say that from a very young age. I think using even the term no uh, you know, is is troubling for many, many people because um, I think most people have testimonies at best as as matters of faith and hope and belief, not knowledge. But the, the notion of one true church really offends me. And uh, I would love to see us. And the reason it offends me also is because not only does it make us feel more complacent and happy with ourselves than we should, but it also leads us to judge other people as being inadequate or inferior or subpar. I mean, baked into our history is the belief that all other churches in the world are, fill in the word for me? An abomination. An abomination unto God. Uh, how does that mesh with Christianity and, and, and love and faith and humility? Uh, so I think that, you know, whether or not we're one, and I'm not saying that I know we're not the one true church. It's possible. It's possible that the Mormon church is the one true church on the face of the earth. But I don't believe it's possible that we're going to become Christ-like by focusing on that, by by believing that we have a superior status to other people, or by thinking that other people are inferior to us. So, Okay, a second follow-up to your last point, uh, the point of the church having lots of good teachings in it that you accept. Uh, if I were to play ex-Mormon advocate, I might say, well, sure, the church has a lot of good teachings, all churches do, but there's a lot of harmful teachings in the church as well. Like what? Oh, the racism. Well, you know, t take your favorite from the list that we talked about before. So, what would you say to a person that, that, that would challenge you with that? 
Yeah, I would say you're absolutely right. I think that women aren't treated uh, as well as they could. I think that people don't act like they should. I believe that there are many, many teachings that, that are counterproductive. But I would ask them to show me a church that doesn't either uh, have equally significant flaws um, or worse flaws. And maybe they, they are liberalized or uh, you know watered down or sanitized in a way to where they're completely politically correct, but maybe they're not viable or, or maybe they're weaker or, or maybe they don't call out to people um, <clears throat> in a way. I'm probably not being as effective at communicating this as I could, but um, I believe that all governments, all organizations, all marriages, and all churches ultimately fall short. Even you look at the ex-Mormon community, and they have their own infightings and bickerings and, and issues of power control, etc. I, I think that if you hold all other organizations to the same level of scrutiny that uh, an ex-Mormon holds the Mormon church, you're going to end up not being able to ethically be a member of any church, of any government, of any uh, business, and of any union or relationship, because all are going to fall short. So if... So if all organizations and unions are flawed, and some are more flawed than others, um, the next question is, do you become an island and not be a part of anything? Or do you say, I'm going to go ahead and be a part of this flawed thing, but maybe do my part to make it better? So that's sort of uh, uh, my lame response to that question. Okay. Well, to continue the advocation <laughs> one step further, you know, sure, all these other organizations have flaws, but none of them claim to be the one true church that I should expect more from. Yeah. How do you, how do you respond to that? So uh, here's my response to that. You know, we've seen what happens to religions the less that they uh, demand from their members and the, the less extent to which they claim strong, deep connections to the divine. If you look at mainstream Christianity, I would say that it's not growing. If you read Armin Moss and, and, and what he's written, um, you'll realize that the more bold the claim, the stronger the devotion that the members give to the organization. And so, you know, if we use the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ as a case study, we see that for a long time they claimed access to truth and exclusivity on truth and God's holy priesthood. But the moment that they became watered down, the moment that they began emphasizing less uh, their their exclusivity on truth, Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon, and the extent to which they distanced themselves for their long-held claims that polygamy never happened with Joseph Smith, and they acknowledged all their weaknesses and frailties. What happened to the church? It's, it's disassembled and become a shadow of what it, what it once was. And so um, I think that the church and the brethren are acting exactly... Um, as as rational people would. They say, um, uh, you know, we believe this church is good. We believe this church is true. And we are, we are uh, if we were to water things down, if we were to acknowledge all our mistakes, if we were to renounce all our teachings that weren't perfect, in essence, what we would do is we would kill the church. We would water it down and undermine it to the point where our critical mass would become disenchanted, disillusioned, or even less motivated because they, they felt like there was less of a claim on righteousness and truth, and they and the church would dissolve and crumble. And so I see the brethren as in a real pinch. They have the choice of either 
um, destroying the church by coming clean with all these issues and acknowledging all these issues, which I don't think is a rational thing to expect. Um, but at the same time, I do believe that the brethren want to move the church forward in a positive and productive way. And so I, at the end of the day, have sympathy for them um, in their role of trying to uh, navigate between um, trying to be progressive and and uh, improve the situation, but at the same time not alienating and diluting and and uh, uh, destroying uh, what's what's been a very successful organization by almost any standard. Okay. I think I'll cut it off there. Let's keep going with your list. Okay. Um, uh, other reasons I stay in the church. Uh, I believe that religion is good for children, just like maybe Santa Claus or, or the Easter Bunny have an important place and myths and stories have an important, you know, uh, tall tales, Paul Bunyan. You know, they have a place in, in young children's lives. I believe that religion is absolutely fundamental to uh, raising a healthy kid. I, I know several kids who are raised atheist and non-believing, and they've turned out to be wonderful kids, so I don't believe that religion, uh, raising kids in a religious way has an exclusive lock on having them be productive, contributing kids. But I believe that kids can't, un- their brains aren't developed enough to understand the nuances of, uh, of this mortal existence. And I believe that faith and, and simple stories and simple spiritual teachings and, and a belief in God and, and, and of morals and of values and the framework that religion provides is a, is, a, is a positive, good way to raise a kid, although you know I believe you can do it well elsewise. Um, I will say that um, my wife and I are vigilant in what, what I sometimes call deprogramming my children. Uh, we don't just tell them, uh, believe everything you're told at church, do everything you're told at church, uh, accept everything at face value. Part of the way that we're able to coexist in the church is by asking them every Sunday, what were you taught today? And if they were taught that blacks were less valiant in the pre-existence, we say, you know what, sweetie, we don't believe that. And if they're taught that, uh, that God killed all the people in the flood because they were wicked and he was mad at them, uh, we say, you know what, mommy and daddy don't necessarily believe in a God uh, that would be so angry and vengeful and kill so many people. So, so I do have to say as a caveat that we, we work really hard to deprogram our children uh, of, of the evil things or the bad things that we think that they're exposed to at church. But we also try really hard to reinforce the good. So um, so I've already talked about, uh, oh, another thing that I think ex-Mormons uh, and anti-Mormons never give the church enough credit for is the progress that the church has made. If you look at the way the church has progressed on the blacks, on women, on judging uh, non-traditional families, on all sorts of issues, on the temple ceremony um, being sanitized and uh, made more uh, less offensive and 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 uh, more acceptable to you know to modern sensitivities, and even if you look at the way that they've uh, held gays, you know you know in the seventies we were tying electric shock to gay people's testicles to shock them into being you know having aversion from from uh, pornographic pictures. And we've gone from that to to a, a much more enlightened approach towards not being judgmental, about not teaching people to just lie to their spouse and, and don't tell them the truth and get married and, and the gayness will go away. You know, we've made a lot of progress there. So I have to say and give the church credit. And also 
we've distanced ourselves from all the the di journal discourse nastiness that was taught by Brigham Young and others. We we distance ourselves from it. And, and you even hear Gordon B. Hinckley interviewed by Larry King and others. We distance ourselves and renounce a lot of that stuff, not openly, but in how we don't emphasize it or teach it anymore and uh, and, and how we stop, we stop uh, encouraging it and promoting it. So I, I have to give the church credit for how it's... Uh, how it's progressed may not be as, um, as as progressive as some would like, but we're a large organization that's very bureaucratic and autocratic and hierarchical, and I have to give them credit, especially on race issues. I think we've really made a lot of progress in the past twenty or thirty years. Um, another reason I stay in the church is I have a strong desire to help those who are still in. I think there are thousands and tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of people like us, like me, who are suffering in silence, whether they're a teenager who got caught in masturbation and uh, thinks that they're evil and is suicidal because they don't want to talk to their bishop, but they don't feel worthy to go on a mission for something that you know, may not be the ideal thing to do as a kid, but that uh, so many people do and, and would be seemingly normal. You know, I would love to figure out a way to help be an advocate to keep that teenager from falling into self-hating and depression and suicidal thoughts um, for an action that they're taught is so evil that in reality um, it turns out to be somewhat normal. For the closet church historian who's had their faith destroyed by history issues, for the, for the gay person who has no idea what their place is in the church, for all sorts of people like that, if all of those of us who know these issues bail Who's going to stick around to help our other brothers and sisters through these hard times, either as they're confronting them now or as they confront them later? Um, so I just ethically and morally can't uh, psych myself up about abandoning the church to, you know, I'll, I'll say disrespectfully, the crazies, to the fundamentals who would just reinforce the guilt and the shame and the sadness uh, that's too often perpetuated sometimes within the church. Uh, another thing that I believe that comes from uh, a, a piece that Eugene England wrote. Um, he wrote a, a piece that I would recommend to everyone called Why the Church is as True as the Gospel. And if we're going to stipulate that sometimes I'm frustrated at church, that sometimes I get bored in sacrament meeting, that sometimes in Sunday school I want to throw the, 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 the scriptures or a brick or something at some of the statements made, um, or even in general conference when I get frustrated at the heavy emphasis on authority and ex exclusivity of truth, if we're going to stipulate that I have all sorts of struggles and issues with the church, um, I would ask you, if my goal is to develop, to develop Christ-like love and patience and understanding um, in my life, where is a better place to do that in a place where I am sincerely at odds with so many people have struggles, have frustrations, have issues, how else am I going to develop faith and patience and humility if I just flee from every situation uh, that angers me and surround myself with people who are like me and that agree with me all the time? Mm -hmm. And so I see the church for a person like me as being an incredibly great place to learn tact and patience and forbearance and understanding, etc. It's like a laboratory for that, for me. Uh, an another thing is, I think uh, the hymns totally rock. You like the hymns? I love the hymns, and I love the music. And 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 the dilemma about the church changing, I've already talked about, and the brethren's dilemma of uh, 
of not gutting the church by trying to change it and make it progressive, I already talked about. So uh, in, in essence, those would be the main reasons why I stay in the church. But I do have to give you a caveat in that for me to be able to stay in the church and be sane, I, I in many ways am uh, like Anne, who I interviewed a couple of podcasts back. Mm-hmm. I would consider myself a certified, bona fide, dyed-in-the-wool buffet Mormon. And what I mean by that is I do not believe everything that was been uttered by every general authority or prophet or apostle um, since the history of the church. I couldn't because there's so many things that contradict themselves. I'd go crazy trying to rationalize them all. And in fact, I don't believe everything that I read in the scriptures. And I don't believe that I should worry about that too much because we even in our articles of faith acknowledge that scriptures aren't necessarily perfect all the time. So I don't have to believe that God commanded the Israelites to slaughter men, women, children, and animals, and that anyone who didn't slaughter these children were struck down. I don't feel like I have to be a, uh, uh, to believe those things, and I'm not going to believe them. Um, I don't believe that every word that comes out of a prophet's mouth, I have to follow. I believe that at the end of the day, it's my wife and my responsibility to govern our family as uh, the spirit or our consciences dictate. Um, and so, you know, uh, we, we go to church, but maybe every once in a while on a Sunday, we don't go. And we just stay home and we play games and we go for a walk and we take a nature walk. And we have the most incredibly fulfilling, rewarding Sunday that we could ever have sometimes going to church for three hours. So I'll skip church sometimes. I'm not an incredible, devout temple goer because I'm not, uh, I don't have a strong testimony of proxy work for the dead. So I just, when people emphasize temple attendance, I just say, you know what, that's not, uh, that's not where my testimony is firmly rooted. And I'll try and serve in other areas, like I'll go to the blood drive or, or whatever. Although uh, I was supposed to go to the blood drive today and I missed it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, you, so you're a picky eater at the uh, Mormon cafeteria. I am. And I think that we all are. And that's the thing that I think we need to realize. I think that if you followed the brethren day to day, the apostles themselves, you would find that they might miss church every once in a while. They might s- sip a Coke. Uh, they might be mean or lose their patience or even say a swear word. I think that anyone who's close to those guys would acknowledge that they don't uh, follow everything that they preach. Or maybe they're not as responsible fathers or grandfathers as they could be because they're so committed to their church. And so even the best of us, I think, is a buffet Mormon because you can't have a garden and write in your journal and read the scriptures and say your prayers and be the perfect husband, wife, father and hold down the right job. No one can do it all. And so instead of feeling guilty and ashamed and sad about it, I'm just going to embrace the fact that I can't do it all and, and pick the things that I can do and that I feel good about, and I'm going to focus on those. But your your pickiness in the buffet line is not so much in terms of what you're willing to do, but more in terms of what you will believe. Yeah, absolutely. Do you see yourself in a position where you would acquire a taste for some of those foods you've passed by? Or do you think you've tried enough of them that you feel pretty, you know, <laughs> pretty solid and pretty content in the foods you choose today? We're we're really extending this metaphor, aren't we? That was really good. No, I I think that I think only a fool thinks that they've got it all figured out. So I am completely open to revising my my view that the Book of Mormon is a completely perfect historical document in every way. I'm open to 
reaffirming a testimony of temple work and proxy work and, and going hardcore on genealogy and, and stuff. I don't know how likely that is, but I think I'd be a fool to close myself off from further light and knowledge and understanding. And so, uh, so I'm open, but, uh, but I can tell you that, that if, if I had to condense my view of the gospel into one phrase, it's be nice to the guy next to you. And I think that there's so much, there's so much we can focus on and just being nice to the people around us and being kind to our kids and our spouse and our neighbor and, 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 and our, and our, and the countries and, and other people and civilizations throughout the world that, that, that could consume me for a lifetime. Great. Well, you know, I think we've been talking here for about three hours now. <laughs> it's time for you to go home. I think huh? We've covered it. Yeah. I got the long drive back to Salt Lake late at night. So, um, well, you know, before I turn it over to you to kind of give final thoughts and, and uh, you know, close to the interview, uh, just want to thank you for the opportunity to come and, and be part of your interview here today. This has been a lot of fun for me. Thank you, and, Paul. And uh, I thank think it's been great to, you know, hear your position on these things and hear your testimony and uh, wish you all, all the luck in future uh, oh. with the podcast. Well, thank you. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about handing the mic over to you because I think you uh, did an excellent job of of posing the questions and holding my feet to the fire and making me expose all sorts of things I would have never felt comfortable <laughs> exposing elsewise. Sorry, I didn't know about that one there. So <laughs> Yeah, yep. So uh, all, all the goodness returned to you as well. Thank you. Closing thoughts? Yeah, so, um, you know, the, the last sort of thing that I, I thought you might ask that I wanted to cover was, uh, you know, what's my goal? What's my objective? And if I had to summarize what I want, um, what, what more Mormon stories and what this podcast and my participation in Sunstone and why I'm sharing with you my views right now. You know, what, what I want to provide a test case for, not just for myself, but for Buckley Jepson and Darren Smith and Darius Gray and, and uh, Hiram and all the other people who, who represent the different factions of the alienated and the disenfranchised. I want to provide a test case for the church, and I'm, I'm going to ask the church very openly and publicly, what is the role in the church for people like me? If you're not a traditional thinker, if you don't accept every element of the gospel at face value, if you openly acknowledge that you're not uh, perfect at observing everything the church tells you to do, and if you don't uh, have traditional beliefs, can you still be a Mormon? Can you still be a member of this church? And not just be silent and keep quiet, but can you be an actively participating, open member of this church um, in a, in a non traditional way? What's the role for our black brethren and sisters to, to participate in full fellowship? What's the role of women to participate in an enlightened, you know, twenty first century way? What's the place of a gay person, uh, a person who's faithful and believing, but you know, got married in a civil service because they want the rights and protections of the law? Uh, and want to participate in the community. Is there a role for people like us in the church? Or is the church only going to want people who are either quiet or who are going to toe the line um, and, and toe the party line? And so I have faith in this church. I have a testimony that this church gets it right, that this church is guided by divine good principles, and that at the end of the day, they're guided by positive and productive forces uh, within this universe. And so I am very hopeful that even though the church has stumbled at times, made mistakes, excommunicated people, disfellowshipped people, alienated people, I am optimistic that under the leadership of Gordon B. Hinckley 
and future leaders of this church, the church is going to continue in its direction towards a positive, productive dialogue, and that at the end of the day, the church will end up finding a place for those of us who are non-traditional and in accepting uh, and, and carving out a place for us, reach a deeper understanding of what it means to be Christian and to be godlike and, and to be uh, positive and, and, and enlightened um, on, this, on this earth. So that's the thing. And I'm, I'm, this is an act of faith for me that being open and honest won't lead to negative consequences in the medium to long term but will lead to positive and productive uh, consequences that will lead to happiness and enlightenment for not just me, but for other members of the church and for the church itself. So That's what I hope for, Paul. And uh, thanks for letting me share this with you today. And for the two or three listeners who were able to make it <laughs> to the end of this podcast, I offer an ice cream cone to anyone who comes to Logan, Utah, while I live here and, uh, and, and made it to the end of this interview I, I will buy you personally an ice cream cone, I promise. So make that, bank on it, send me an email to remind me that you made it through and you have my word on that ice cream promise. So with that, I will uh, bid you all a fond adieu. I will thank you for joining us to this Mormon Stories. I promise to never bore or bother you with my own personal stories or prejudices again. If I alienate half of you so that you never come back and listen, I apologize. I hope I haven't shocked or offended. Um, but most importantly, I hope that we'll be able to continue bringing to you more stories in the future. Again, thank you so much for your participation, for your emails of support. Please email me if you uh, have thoughts or feelings or questions. Please come to the blog at mormonstories.org and post with your feedback. And, uh, you know, I will say that... Um, those of you who have been able to donate to help cover the costs and expenses and time uh, that I've taken to do this, your donations are incredibly appreciated um, uh, as well. So with that, thanks for tuning in. Uh, you guys are wonderful. I wish you all the best, and I look forward to more conversations with you and stories with you in the future. Take care, and goodbye. <laughs>